All right, we're going to jump into uh, the next portion of our series on Galatians. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians is in the New Testament. It's one of the letters by Paul. Now, Paul is writing this letter to a church of primarily Gentile believers. So Gentile, in case that's a new word for you, you don't use that one on the street that often. Gentile just means that anybody who's not Jewish. And he's writing this to a, a city, a church in a city called Galatia. In their church, these Jewish leaders had come in and taught that to follow Jesus, you also had to follow all the Old Testament Jewish customs. These Judaizers, as Paul called them, tried to mix the Old Testament law and the New Testament covenant now through Jesus. So this morning, we're going to go through this passage of Galatians 1, 10 to 24, and we're going to do it section by section, as Paul is going to be teaching us the three C's of encountering Jesus, change, call, and commission. God, we pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds to receive from you this morning what you want to say, I pray, would echo clearly. Sift through, because God, people don't need to hear me. There's nothing I have that can provide the hope, life, and encouragement that's needed, but your spirit in a moment can bring healing and wholeness and truth. And I pray you would, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start right from the top here, verse 10, as we talk about being called. This is Paul's words in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Let me ask an honest question of you this morning. Have you ever done something dumb trying to impress or please someone else? I'm going to ask it again, and now I'd like you to honestly ask this, answer this question. Have you ever done something dumb trying to please or impress someone else? If you're online... I know Jason Copan, for a fact, has done something dumb. So Jason, you need to share in the chat. And if any of you have a good story, if you're sitting beside someone right now, look at them, nod your head yes, if you know that yes, right away, I know something dumb I've done to impress someone else. Uh, I feel like sometimes, as a pastor, when we preach, this is almost essentially what we do. We just end up sharing all the dumb things we've done with people so that you get an example. I'm not gonna do that this morning because I've never done anything dumb, ever. More on that later. Uh, how many of us here today can say that you struggle with something I do? You're a people pleaser. You have a tendency to do things or not do things to make people happy. Is there anybody here that's willing to confess that right off the bat? Okay, I see a lot of hands. Nope. Paul here, clearly in this verse, we see Paul is not a people pleaser. He does not change to meet whatever is desired by the popular opinion of this church. Paul is laying something for us in this that is really key in this verse. It's a church that we need to take heed and listen to. He says this, and I, if you're like me, you're going to read this twice, and it's going to really hit you hard when you do. If people pleasing is my goal... Not that's something I should adjust or something that will make my life more challenging. If people-pleasing is my goal, I will not be Christ's servant. 
If you're like me, that hit me really hard this week. Some of you know a bit of my story growing up, especially in junior high and high school. I, I like to refer to myself as I was a chameleon, and I would change who I was depending on who I needed to hang out with. Whatever group was I was present with, I talked, I acted, I even changed my mannerisms just to fit in. But it left me constantly with this question of not knowing who I actually was. See, the trap of people-pleasing is that you become enslaved to the opinions of others. And if you don't fix this issue in your life, it will control your life. It will rob you of happiness and vitality. The idea that I need someone else's approval or I need someone else to like me in order to be happy is absolutely suffocating. You will end up serving other people, being what they want rather than the life you want and more importantly, the life God has called you to. People-pleasing opens the door to all kinds of anxiety and dysfunction in your life. You will live a life of perpetual identity crisis. Proverbs 29.25 says this, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So a quick test for some of us who are still unsure if you are a people-pleaser. If you are a follower of Jesus, here's a really quick test for you to see if there's maybe a hint of people-pleasing in you. Do you struggle with fear in sharing your faith with others? The fear of sharing your faith is a sign that you are controlled by the opinions of other people. That there is at least a seed of a people-pleaser within you. Now, if you know Paul's history at all, you know that for much of Paul's life to this point, he cared greatly about what other people thought about him, especially Jewish religious elites. Now, you may be going, but you just said he clearly doesn't care. It says that here, right? Aren't you contradicting yourself? Something changed in Paul. What? What changed? How do we stop doing things simply to impress and please others? Did Paul simply not care anymore? Maybe you're like me, and this is a line that you've heard people share. Well, I just need to move on with my life, so I just decided, I'm, I just stopped caring about what other people think. You just need to stop caring about what other people think. Is that actually possible? Unless you suffer from some extreme form of narcissism, I don't think that that's actually possible. In which case, actually, you'd still be angry about people not recognizing how amazing and superior you are, so you kind of still deal with the same issue. But the truth is, is that we are all, every human being on earth is hardwired to need approval, acceptance, and affirmation of another. The key the change is not, do I care? But rather, it's the question of whose approval, whose acceptance, and whose affirmation carries weight in my life. I've been married for about 11 and a half years to my wife, Carrie. 
And I remember, maybe you're like me when people ask, well, what about your first date? Anybody have that where it's like, well, the first real date or the first official date or the first date that we actually did something together? Anybody have those type of stories? There's multiples. We have two first date stories, I would say. So the first date was we, we met in a coffee shop, Second Cup in Calgary, when Carrie came to pick her sister up from the airport. She lived in Edmonton. I lived in Calgary because I knew Jesus. And I, it's funny because neither of us drink coffee, but for some reason we still chose to meet up at a coffee shop for our first date. But we sat there and we talked for a couple of hours. Now, there may have been other people in that coffee shop. I don't know. Terry Belcourt could have been in that coffee shop. I don't know. And I, I'm sorry if this hurts Terry's feelings, but I didn't care. Terry would have stopped the date. I didn't care. Why? Because I was absolutely fixated on this beautiful woman with big brown eyes that I could not turn away from. And every word she spoke, I hung on. On our second date, we met in Red Deer and then went to the corn maze in Lacombe and talked for several hours walking through the maze. And again, probably hundreds of people that we passed, I can't tell you who they were, and I can't tell you what they talked about or what they cared. I can't tell you if someone was screaming, crying, yelling. I don't know. But I know what that girl with big brown eyes said, and I know what her heart cared about. I was absolutely infatuated with her. She was huge in my world. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says this, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Listen to this really clear. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. In Luke chapter 14, if you want to quick quickly turn over there. In Luke 14, verses 25 to 27, we see the story of Jesus. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciples, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Let me clarify. Jesus doesn't say you need to hate everyone else. But he says, in comparison to how much you love and are infatuated with him, you must hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, wife, and children, brothers, sisters, yet even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. God needs to be big in your life. When God is big in our lives, people have less power over us. When we allow people to be big, here's the reality. God then becomes diminished. We have to choose who we are going to give more authority and influence to in our lives. God's approval will cost the approval of others. I'm going to say that again. Because if you haven't faced it, you'll face it soon. God's approval will cost you the approval of others. So the question is, not do you care, but whose opinion matters more? Friends or God? Who am I going to trust or believe more, people or God? Is Jesus more important than my child, my spouse, my mother, my best friend? Because if he's not, 
I'm going to continue in a vicious cycle of people-pleasing, compromising on my message and values, leading to a perpetual questioning of my own self and identity. As we talked about in Soul Care this past fall, key to your identity is knowing what your Heavenly Father says of you. God doesn't want you to live the life that you've known as a people pleaser, one trapped and defined by your trying to work and achieve the approval and affirmation of others, constantly feeling your value is connected to your ability to perform and appease. That's what Paul used to be when he tried to earn his salvation through religion, through his own works. But an encounter with Jesus brought change, and God wants to have an encounter with you to bring change in your life. Like Paul, you can be changed. And we are changed only by a true personal encounter with Jesus. Second C, you are called. Verse 13 of this passage in Galatians chapter 1. You know, this is Paul again speaking, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. The word paradox means something such as a situation that is made of two opposite things and seems, two opposite things, sorry, and that seems impossible, but is actually true or possible. So for example, a paradoxical statement that you hear quite often is less is more. Or maybe this will also help give you a, a picture of what paradox is like. Now I know they've taken it down, but it used to be when you would drive into the city of Edmonton, you would see this sign. Edmonton, the city of champions. Talk about a paradoxical statement, huh? Edmonton, the city of champions. Now, I know that there's probably a high school championship in town, but given this past year of the Eskimos not even winning a single game at home and people throwing their Oilers jerseys on the ice, doesn't that seem like a paradoxical statement? Edmonton, the city of champions? Now, before you get upset and think that I'm just taking a cheap shot, a paradox <clears throat> is made of two opposite things that seem impossible, but is actually true or possible. So just before you get too upset, Marlo, don't worry. Before you get too upset, it seems impossible, but can we use our memories and remember that, yes, there have been major championships. In fact, the Stanley Cup, am I right? Can we show a picture? That's right, the 2020 Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning won in the city of Edmonton, hence city of champions, right? Huh? A paradox. Here's the reality. In coming to know God, in coming and living the Christian life, you will have to come face to face with the reality of paradox. Things that seem that they contradict or seem impossible, but are actually true. In verse 13 and 14, we see Paul kind of lay out his resume. And his resume at, at the beginning might seem good to a Jewish follower because again, it was all about the things that he did, how he followed all the traditions of his ancestors. 
To the Jews, his resume would make him top of the class. Yet his heart and actions really make him a worse candidate, the worst candidate to be an ambassador for the gospel of Jesus. Paul persecuted the church, chased them down. Because of the work of Paul, there were Christians that were stoned, punished, and even killed. Paul did not somehow earn this promotion from God by his actions. Yet, despite his mistakes, he was also not excluded from God's grace. See, while our human reasoning would say that the people who are the kindest, most influential, or who make the least bad decisions should make it to heaven, the teachings of Jesus in the Bible state that that is actually not the case. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, meaning the things that we do right, we give to the poor, we sacrifice, we give of our time and volunteer. When we do our righteous deeds, our own good things, they are to God nothing but filthy rags. This word filthy rags, it means like rags of menstruation, menstrual pads. That's essentially the equivalent of what your good deeds mean to God. Nothing. Romans 3.23 reiterates that we have all sinned and fall short of God's standard. But let's move on to Paul's words in verse 15 back in Galatians chapter 1. But even before I was born... So all these things he's done, he followed the Jewish religion, but he persecuted the church. But even before I was born, God chose me. And he called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Another of the paradoxes of the gospel presented to us is that of predestination and free will. Now, this is a theological conversation that's too in-depth for me to fully unpack this morning, but if you wanted to have a conversation about it, I would love to. But the Bible teaches that we are incapable of even making the choice to choose God without him first revealing himself by his grace. God has a plan and a destiny for you. You did not make it here. You aren't listening to these words on your own. But God brought you to this point. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. God's destiny, he puts in place, not our doing. Yet on the same hand, we see in scripture the aspect of we also have the free will to choose to obey and to follow God. How? How can those both be in existence? This morning, I'm just going to give you a simple answer, and I'd love to unpack more in a one-on-one conversation. But the reality is, is that God does not fit in the box that you and I like to make for him. And he does not have to play by the rules that we do. God's outside of that. He is transcendent, meaning he is far away from us. He is above all things. Yet God also chooses to be imminent, so close that he can hear your whisper.
Paul himself was a bitter, rotten man. He lived a life and had a dramatic shift when one day he's traveling on a road to a place called Damascus. There he had a vision, a personal encounter with Jesus, and it radically changed him. It doesn't matter what your past has been, like Paul on the road to Damascus. Perhaps you have come to the point in your life where you come face to face with Jesus. Many of us can testify of this experience of the change in life that happened when you had a true encounter, not with a religious system, but a living God. Jesus calls us, not because we are great and we have earned his approval, He sees us in our lives exactly how we are, a misguided mess. And yet he chooses you, and he chooses me. He has a plan, and he's had a plan for your life long before you ever heard about Eaglemont Church, long before you ever saw a Bible, long before you ever met another Christian, long before you were ever even born. He knows you. He knows all of you. The good, the stuff that you want people to know about, the not so good, and the absolute vile that you hope beyond hope no one ever discovers. He knows all of it. And he loves you. And he has chosen you. And he's calling you out. You are called. Finally this morning, The third C of an encounter with Jesus is you are commissioned. You are commissioned. I want us just to jump back to a previous verse that we skipped over. Verse 11 and 12 of the same passage in Galatians 1. Paul again saying, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. In this verse, Paul is making it clear. He isn't just regurgitating or conforming to a message he heard someone else preach or say. Now, Paul's enemies would have pointed to his non-conformity as proof that his message and ministry were not of God. Paul didn't speak the same way as some of the other apostles did. And he didn't have the same resume that they did. Paul had his own unique apostleship. Now, in case you're unfamiliar, in the New Testament, the apostles were those, uh, there were the apostles that were chosen. They had to be directly taught firsthand by Jesus. So essentially, they were the disciples who had followed him. Paul was not a disciple. During Jesus' earthly ministry, Paul persecuted the church. Now, he had probably heard Jesus preach, and he might have even been present for some of his teaching, Probably could have been one of the Pharisees that asked him a question at some point. But he was not a student of Jesus at that time. Paul had his own unique path. He had a direct, powerful encounter with the person of Jesus on the road to Damascus. If you want to read about that, it's in Acts chapter 9. Look at verses 3 to 5 and you'll see this happen. Church, I want to encourage you. God has uniquely and divinely called you in your life. In Matthew 28, we see the great commission for all of God's church that we are called to go into all the world and make disciples, share the good news of Jesus. 
But I want to be clear, your part of fulfilling the Great Commission of Christ will look unique to you. The worst thing you can do is simply try to copy what other people look like and talk like. Don't try and look and talk like me. You're like, I already don't want to, so thanks for that reminder. Don't try and pray like Pastor Marlow. Don't try and sing like Pastor Brennan. Do not conform to a pattern or style in your life. You have been created uniquely and specifically by God just the way you are. And you have been given direct access to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. So don't get distracted and off course by trying to be like others. That's what these Judaizers in the church were trying to do in the church of Galatia. They were trying to mold these new Christians to simply look like them, talk like them, and act like them. Rather than be like Jesus. There's only one you need to try to replicate and be like, and that's Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, so those other Christians, those other people of faith, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. When I ran track growing up, especially when you're in the sprints, but also when you do distance, when you're on the track, There are lanes and there are lines that are there. When you run, one of the things you're always encouraged, do not look to your left or your right. And you're always tempted because the reality is is we tend to judge ourselves by the people around ourselves. How am I doing in the race? But when you turn, there's a couple problems that happen. One, if you're running in a lane, you can tend to drift out of your lane. You can step over and be disqualified. Number two, when you turn your head, you slow down. My coach always taught me you look beyond the finish line and you don't stop till you get there. You have to keep your eyes fixed on the goal, which is Jesus, not each other. Verse, and again, back to our passage. Paul says, when this happened, I did not rush out. When this experience, this encounter happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, into the desert, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, three years after this encounter, Paul goes to Jerusalem to get to know the apostles, to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at, the same, at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. They essentially attack Paul saying, well, your story is not the same as theirs, so that discredits you. And Paul's saying the exact opposite. It's actually the uniqueness of my call that gives authority to what I'm saying. How do you know what God's call or direction is in your life? As a pastor, I've had this question come to me so many times over the last 18 years. Two things, really quick. How do you know God's direction and call on your life? One, you receive it from God. Note here, Paul specifies, he did not rush out to consult others. Why? Because our default is oftentimes we, is to uh, come to other people 
and other people become our God. We look to other Christ followers even, mature believers, and try to get our direction from them rather than from God himself. When you read your Bible, you don't just consult someone else. You don't just look up a concordance in a, in a Bible dictionary or ask someone else. You open God's word and ask him to speak to you because God wants to speak to you directly. When you need to make a big decision in your life, don't just go right away to ask other people what they think because what you're going to get is what they think. Take time and pray and wait on God. Now with that, we need to be careful because even if you take this picture of a race, the people in the other lanes are not your competition. Other followers of Jesus are not people you're running against. They are not a liability in your life. They are an asset. You just need to put them in the right priority. They're going to be able to share God's word and God's truth into you. But here's the key. You seek God first, and God will speak to you. And then God will use his church to affirm what he's spoken. That's number two. Receive it from God and have it affirmed by others. That's a pattern that we have set up here. After this, Paul goes on, I went north into the province of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches of Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. It's amazing Paul lived a life of dedication. He was the Jew of all Jews. He followed all the rules to a T. Yet it wasn't Paul's knowledge of the Old Testament, all his memorization or qualifications of upholding all the laws and traditions that led people to praise God. It was actually the darkest, most prolific failure of Paul's past that is mentioned as the root to people coming and praising God. More poignantly, how God transformed his past transgressions and failures. Friend, can I say this? Are you running from God? Are you hiding parts of your life fearful of rejection? Figuring that it could never be redeemed? God has a miraculous habit of using our greatest mistakes and failures and transforming them to be used as a megaphone of his transformative love and grace into our world. To truly experience that kind of miracle, we need to stop trying to please and appease others and honestly come to him today, not worried about what other people think, because you are called You are commissioned. And if you will let go and invite him in, you will be radically changed. That's the Jesus that wants to know you today. I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me if you're in person as we close. and Pray together. I want to pray for you, church. I want to pray for those this morning, especially perhaps that you have yet to have that type of powerful encounter with Jesus that Paul did. An encounter that completely changed the trajectory of his life. Yep, you maybe have heard about the teachings of Jesus, 
You've maybe heard about what good acts you should do, and you maybe even tried to implement them. But you have never personally come to experience, encounter, and know Jesus for yourself. He wants to meet you this morning. So I'm going to ask if everyone will close their eyes. This is just to help us focus today. But if there's anyone here this morning, and that's where you're at, you know you've never personally encountered Jesus. I want to pray for you. If you're here in person, I'd love to be able to, to pray. I won't call you out, but I'd love to pray with you and lead you in a prayer. If you want to lift your hand, just as an acknowledgement of that, I'm just going to give 10 seconds, and then I'm going to lead this prayer for those in person and online. If there's anyone here today, it's you this morning. Pray a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. You see all the stuff, all the garbage. And I hear this morning that you still choose me. I know I'm not perfect. And I need an experience like Paul. I need a real Jesus. I need to know you. I ask for your forgiveness. I pray your spirit will come live in me and help me to live life the way you would want. Speak to me every day and help me to live for you. Thank you. For all of us, God, can we come back to that reality of where we are at? If we've allowed for that people-pleasing to creep back in and there's that seed inside of us that needs to die, we ask today, Lord Jesus, bring to death to that old. You've already paid for it at the cross. Forgive us where we have allowed other people to become big in our world. God, we want you to be big again. We want to be so captured by you that we don't even recognize those around us. Help us to stop trying to fix ourselves and help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord. Forgive us of our selfishness, our self-centeredness. Jesus, maybe you be seen and known in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. Pastor Marlowe.